stay off the intertubes because we're right now together. Um, so I thought I'd talk a little bit about um, all the um, nice thing about having been a Buddhist teacher for a decade now is I get to talk about whatever I want. And the thing I like to talk about uh, this time of year is uh, uh, how I deal with forced social gatherings, which um, uh, I am not particularly comfortable with. And so over the years, I've used a lot of the Buddhist strategies for dealing with um, the, the discomfort that um, uh, I've, I've had for most of my life, in gatherings um, where, uh, for example, formal gatherings, work gatherings, where there are people that you really wouldn't want to gather with, but there's this expectation. Uh, gatherings where perhaps if you're in a relationship and your significant other wants to go and you don't particularly want to go, or there's gatherings where... Um, uh, you might feel like an outsider, and uh, very often we, um, of course, can bring the, uh, we can experience um, gatherings from the framework of our early childhood experiences where we felt comfortable in our families, uh, like our family was a place where we could relax and be social with each other, then we might find that in social gatherings we feel comfortable. In my family, we would set an agreement that we would have to spend exactly 45 minutes with each other, and then we all got to do what we wanted to do, which was leave. <laughs> so <laughs> any gathering where I'm expected to stay for hours is always, for me, yeah, a very difficult uh, uh, presents a wonderful challenge for my practice. Um, <laughs> of course, also, there are people who trigger us. And what does that mean? Well, um, very often we have very loaded uh, experiences with um, caregivers and people in our, our earlier life. And people in our present life can... Uh, we can view our relationship with these new people from the framework of our earlier relationships. So if our relationship with our mother or father was problematic and we're in a, a new relationship with someone where we experience similar uh, feelings of insecurity, lack of certainty, lack of acceptance, lack of ease, we can bring... Uh, it's called transferring. The old uh, feelings get uh, transferred onto the new person. And very often what happens is, um, to use a little bit of Freud, but if we're, when we're young and a situation happens where we experience uh, emotions that we have to shut down and repress because they're not permitted, uh, let's use an example. Suppose when we're young and our uh, parents are, one of our parents that we prefer is going away, and we get upset about that, and then we're told not to be so whiny and insistent or 
express our feelings, then because we repress uh, the, those feelings of disappointment, then in the present, when we're in a new situation where we feel the possibility of abandonment or separation, the same feelings that we've repressed might start to come up. And Freud cleverly pointed out that that's the root of anxiety. Anxiety is the attempt to push down a feeling that was never fully attended to in the past, that was very difficult to experience. So in the past, if our parents didn't allow us to express sadness and something makes us sad today, then we will feel anxious because the anxiety is the attempt to keep down the emotion that we feel we don't have the right or permission to experience. This is important because a lot of times in life we get anxious about events and we think that we're anxious because we don't know what's going to happen, but that's not what causes anxiety. Anxiety is not about the fear of the unknown happening. Anxiety is the fear that something we've already experienced and wasn't allowed to fully hold and attend to will happen again. Anxiety is the feeling that an emotion that we've never felt safe with is returning to the present. So, for instance, uh, we might feel in certain situations very judged and unsafe of uh, um, being ourselves. We might feel the need to perform and become uh, more uh, successful or more confident, or more, um, uh, yeah, confident. And so, because of this feeling of we need to be confident, we've repressed anything that doesn't feel confident-like. We repress insecurity, fear. Uh, we repress all those areas of us that are not about, uh, that don't we think don't look good, are, you know, are... Uh, feelings of neediness, our feelings of doubt, our feelings of uh, loneliness. And so whenever any of those emotions that we believe are unpresentable, that are not allowed, because we're only allowed to be confident and look professional, uh, um, when they start to come up, we get anxious because we don't want other people to see the, uh, the emotions that we don't like in ourselves. It's a long-winded way of saying I don't like small talk, okay? <laughs> All right. So, uh, so when we're in these situations where we are uh, uh, anxious or we feel concerned or we get easily triggered where somebody there always gets uh, pushes our buttons, um, when we... Uh, know that there's a history of feeling disappointment or frustration or every time we drive home we just want to swear to ourselves that we'll never do that again. Um, very often in the face of this anxiety we, do, we display certain defense mechanisms. We carry around a lot of physical stress and because of that physical stress, that anticipation of we feel like we're going to be attacked or something's going to be really uncomfortable, it becomes very easy to fully uh, 
fly into a rage or a desire to escape or a, des or a shut-down dissociative quality because we're already carrying around so much physical stress into these events that once we walk into a gathering, it just takes one look, one comment, one judgment, and we can start to immediately find ourselves shut down or searching for the alcohol or just searching for a way to um, uh, just hide. And um, so that's one. Another, when we are <coughs> anticipating or in a place of anxiety, we also become hypervigilant, which means we start studying people's faces and glances, looking for any sign that we're being judged that we're an outsider. We keep track of our disappointments. We bring the story of how every time I've been at this, this work gathering in the past, it sucked, and we go in with that story of suckitude. Boy, <laughs> the last year was so bad that it couldn't possibly be worth this year, but still, I'm sure it will be. And um, so we're, we're bringing a story of anticipation of it being horrible. We're bringing uh, hypervigilance, analyzing everybody's expressions, we're bringing physical tension, uh, we become prone to dissociative flights where basically we sh no longer become aware of all that's truly available. We just uh, go into the space of not feeling the body, not feeling the breath, not feeling anything that makes us calm. So um, fortunately, the, the Buddhist tradition of renunciates, uh, the followers of the Buddha, is the longest surviving organization on the planet. There is no longer lasting one. There's been followers of the Buddha for 2,500 years who live together as renunciates, and there's been wonderful, wonderful, over these 2,500 years, teachings called the Vinaya, uh, or the Patimokkha, which the Buddha outlined rules of getting along with each other. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, there is also another set of teachings called the Siglovada, and that's the rules for lay practitioners getting along with each other. The Buddha uh, knew the importance and stressed the importance of having people in our lives. Um, Buddhism is not an isolating path where we go off into caves and hide and become magically better. It's a relational spiritual practice that has times when we meditate, but a huge amount of the work and healing that we do happens together. And so we need to use, or at least familiarize ourselves with these tools if we really want to learn from this vast tradition. Uh, that goes back to uh, 500 years before uh, what is considered to be the birth of Christ. Um, so, I'm going to review some of the skills that the Buddha talked about. Uh, first, given the nature of anxiety, that it's a fear of emotions uh, that we don't feel comfortable with arising, that anxiety is about trying to hold down um, uh, fears of something that we don't want other people to see arising. The, the way to uh, flip that is to literally have somebody in our lives before we go on any social gathering, any event, 
uh, that where we feel we have to perform uh, and act small talk, where we feel like we're going to be an outsider, where we fear we might be judged, uh, where we feel like we're not comfortable, is to have somebody, a wise friend, that we can simply report how, what emotions, what feelings are present. This is really important because, for example, if I have to go to a work gathering uh, or a, a social gathering that I'm not looking forward to, the expected, uh, the expected emotion people want you to have is they want you to be excited. And so when we try to be excited when we're not feeling that way, it creates stress and suffering. Nothing is a more efficient way to create suffering in your life than concealing how you feel. I actually read a study about this. The study was about people who um, fear talking in front of other people, talking in public. And it turns out that the great fear of it is not so much the, uh, the worry that someone will uh, judge us or laugh at us or that we won't come across well, the stress of it actually comes from concealing the fact that we're uncomfortable. So there's no more efficient way to release and become, uh, uh, to develop an ease in when we have to speak in front of public than to announce it, hey, I don't like doing this. When you do that, we relieve the concealment, the performance, and we acknowledge our feelings, and then we become much more uh, capable of being present in the moment. So, just as that's the case, if there's an event, a social interaction, any kind of gathering that feels unwelcome, the most important thing is to find somebody that you trust and say, hey, I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. And they go, okay, what's going on? You go, uh... That's only if you have weird-sounding friends. It's not like Bullwinkle. I don't know if you know what Bullwinkle is. So, uh, so your friend goes, and uh, you go, oh, well, I have to go to this. I have to go to this this event, this gathering, um, this work function, this social gathering, this family gathering, this thing. Uh, I'm newly sober, and there's going to be a lot of drinking. I'm newly broken up, and there's going to be a lot of couples there. I'm in a couple, and everybody's going to be single there. I don't do drugs, and everybody's going to be shooting dope there. I, you know, everybody else there knows each other, and I don't know anybody there. You know, it's expected. It's a gathering of painters, and I haven't painted in years. Whatever. So... So we find somebody that we can trust and we say, um, yeah, I have to go to this thing and I'm really not that excited. In fact, I'm feeling kind of anxious because I feel it'll be a, a situation where uh, I'll be an outsider or I won't fit in or whatever. And they'll go, oh, okay. And just by doing that, we're no longer concealing it. We're no longer trying to present ourselves as eager. And so... By doing that, we're suddenly allowed to show up in a more natural way. We don't have to present. And then when you go there, I never try to do small talk. That's another important tip. Um, I, when I go to parties, I refuse to do that. Oh, 
been kind of cold lately. <laughs> the, the point of that utterly eludes me, as if somebody is unaware of what weather we've been having. And if they haven't been here, why the fuck would they care what the weather is? So this whole weather thing is utterly beyond me. I generally like to talk about, yeah, I've been reading Schopenhauer lately, and if they haven't, fuck them. I'll, I don't care. I'll just talk about it. I don't present. Okay, right? So this is giving you a warning. Don't invite me to your party, right? Because <laughs> I'm not going to bother to do small dog. I'm just going to talk about whatever is interesting to me, and I, I, I don't try to, you know, go into that space of, yeah, how do you know... Susie. As if I care how you know Susie. I don't care how you know Susie. What I care about is that I'm, you know, I'm reading Schopenhauer or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, so another thing that really uh, helps the Buddha talked about is, of course, developing um, acceptance. That's a big upeka, is a big uh, important part of the spiritual path. Um, upeka or tolerance is developed by two factors. One, de- expanding our tolerance for remarks, situations that are uncomfortable, and two, not caring what other people think about you. Okay, so the tolerance is developed by reflecting on the universal quality of experience, which is reminding yourself that, hey, it's the holidays. Everybody else has to do shitty parties and things that they don't necessarily want to do. Some people love it, but there's a lot of other people that are going to a situation where they're uncomfortable. We're not the only one. We're not unique. Um, We can change our expectations, as Camus said about Sisyphus. The suffering is not in the pushing the rock up the hill, it's in expecting that this day will be the day that the rock stays at the top of the hill. If you expect that it will roll back down, then you can get some enjoyment out of it. So if we go to a situation where we know it will be challenging, we can adjust our expectations. Um, Of course, not going into a negative story of this will suck, but just adjust the expectations to, like, somehow, if only I could figure out a way, this will be different other than it is. Um, Not caring about what other people think. This is the single way to get through any social situation without having any wounding, scarring, or any adverse experience. Not Caring what other people think about you. Not caring. How great is that? How great is that to not care what other people think? You think that's impossible, but it's actually not. Um, there's two tricks, though, other than, you know, there's the year in and year out practice of whenever thoughts or worries, what other, how others perceive us, come up to simply note them, allow them, and let them pass. But that's <clears throat> a long term process. And you're thinking, Josh, I really don't want to know about that. I want to know about how I can survive this party where people are critical right now today. Give me a practice, Josh, where I can do right now that won't require years of difficult Buddhist effort, but is something that I can do right now today. And I hear you. I hear you, even though you have no idea what I'm talking about. I I hear you. The first thing is, how do we not care? One, I love this one. Remember the fact that you're going to die. 
<laughs> and that none of this is going to fucking matter. You could be hit by a bus tomorrow. I read a wonderful story by a guy. I read a wonderful story about a guy who got a diagnosis of three months to live. It was uh, a, br a brain scan showed a malignant tumor that was inoperable. And um, so he said in the, those two weeks, he didn't give a shit about anything. He no longer had any fear. He would say whatever he felt. He wasn't cruel or harmful, but he just, you know, just acted the way he wanted and he didn't have any care. And if his parents judged him or if somebody else gave him fate, weird looks and glances, if people, you know, uh, greeted him with stunned silence or whatever, it didn't <coughs> matter because he was going to die. He was going to die. Who cares then, right? Well, he found out two weeks later that <laughs> that uh, it was in fact an error, that uh, it was a, a machine problem in the imaging and that there was nothing the matter with his brain whatsoever. Now, in case you think, oh, I bet he did something unskillfully, told somebody to fuck off. No, in fact, he didn't. He said he just simply acted himself and without caring. He just enjoyed himself. He was very, very honest with his feelings, and he lost no friends because of it, but he didn't particularly try to manage people's expectations or carry around any care if people were unhappy or not pleased with him. And he said that the day he got the, the real correct diagnosis, he got into a cab to uh, go somewhere, and within 10 minutes he was arguing with the cab driver about what was the fastest way to get back around town. So there's nothing quicker in restoring stress and suffering in your life than knowing you're not going to die. <laughs> carry that one around for a while. The more you want to, uh, that's why in Buddhist practice there's a, what's known as the year to live practice. Just knowing that we are impermanent beings in bodies that any moment could shut down, and that's true. Any moment, any one of our bodies could shut down. Just knowing that, does it really matter what people at a party, what if your parents don't, uh, you know, respond or give us enough support, or if friends are not, uh, you know, as helpful or don't show up for us as much as we show up for them. It really begins to lessen the burden. Another thing to bear in mind is uh, any reading of the Pali Canon, the original, uh, what I consider to be the oldest teachings of uh, the Buddha, revealed that the Buddha was great with boundaries. The Buddha set boundaries like nobody else. Uh, Throughout the teachings, the Buddha was pest, pestered by people who wanted him to talk about shit that he didn't want to talk about. There's suda after suda where people are going, come on, come on, talk about this, talk about your past, talk about your family, talk about you know, why, you, why you're, you're a teacher anyway, talk, talk about this. And he would, he would say, there's wonderful suttas where he would just go, nah, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that. And that's the thing about boundaries. We don't have to explain them. We don't have to justify them. And we don't have to care if people like them or not. Boundaries are not for other people. 
Boundaries are for ourselves to keep us from talking about stuff that triggers us and makes us feel unsafe or that we're not ready to talk about. It's totally permissible to say, I'm not going to talk about that. It doesn't matter if it's your mother. When are you going to have children? <laughs> when are you going <laughs> to meet somebody that I want you to be in a relationship with? It, it doesn't, you, not, not going there. Not, you don't have to explain it, justify it. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be um, uh, particularly well received. In fact, the shorter, the more abrupt, and the less you explain, and the less you justify, the better. Because what keeps, what undermines boundaries is feeling the need to make other people agree with them. That's not a boundary. That's an explanation. What we need to set with boundaries is, I'm not going to talk about that. And you have a right as a human being, unless you're being waterboarded. <laughs> you have a right to not talk about anything that you don't want to. I really love the Buddha's ability to hold those boundaries, by the way. Um, metta is wonderful, which is simply when somebody's irritating us, the thoughts of why don't they stop? Why do I have to see this person? Um, why does this person need to be in my life? I mean, those can be evaluated later, but when we're in a situation where we're really being triggered, there's nothing that, um, that literally diffuses the situation in my experience other than just thinking, this person is suffering, may they find peace. May they find peace. It completely removes me from the attack, attack, the feeling, uh, the feeling uh, unsafe. Um, another um, wonderful cue, cue that um, that I read in the instructions to the monks that the Buddha had was to know when to step away, to take a pause, to go away. And he encouraged his monks, uh, there's a whole large teaching to the, to the monks and the nuns where he talks about if there's a schism or an argument within the Sangha um, and you feel like things are becoming heated or you're becoming uncomfortable, you have every right to break away. He, in fact, gives instructions about where to break away. He says uh, it's important to know and be able to go someplace safe. It's important to give yourself permission to go to a space that's secluded, like a room where nobody is, it's a, or w take a walk outside. The sacred pause, the ability to step away when we know from our awareness that the body is getting heated up to the point where we're about to explode, where we're going to we're going to lose control. The ability to back off, walk away, take a walk outside, go to a different room, go somewhere is wonderful. Anybody who's ever been to a social gathering with me will, um, uh, you won't be aware of it, but at least 
20% of the time, I'm not actually there. <laughs> I don't mean mentally. I mean physically, I've gone. <laughs> I have gone somewhere where the other people aren't, and I am just sitting, like, hanging out by myself, relaxing the body, becoming calm. And then I'll hear the dreaded, the dreaded, the most dreaded words of all. Where's Judge? <laughs> <laughs> but there's no there, the permission to leave the permission to walk away to go somewhere to breathe, relax the body this is one of the key ways to, I, when I go to office parties I would go outside go to the bathroom, stand, look out the window breathe, just get away finally um, it's really important to not keep score just as it's important in relationships to not keep score, you know, you, if you're in a relationship and somebody brings up some criticism and there's a tendency to say, I'm, I'm, um, I'm careless? You're calling me careless? What about you? You know, we all want to go into that uh, carrying around a list of grudges. Um, and that's really, you should see when all, when us Buddhist teachers get together, there's like a lot of criticism, a lot of like, you know, back and forth. And it can, one, a lot of the work I have to do is just letting go of the, but you do that too. And so, <laughs> in fact, let's talk about all the times that you've been blah, 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 blah. So it's really important to deal with each, uh, interaction in and of itself. The more we carry that story about, um, you know, uh, all the the sufferings and the uh, misfortunes and the mistreatments and stuff like that, rather than uh, giving us any clarity, it tends to bring. We tend to bring with us a, a state of of um, or being at war with others. So I hope that there was something of value in there, something that was helpful in your journey through the holiday season. Um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful, joyous year to uh, to teach again at Dharma Punks. I'm really grateful for your presence. I'll uh, also be around tomorrow, so I thank you. And now we have any time for any questions or any thoughts or any questions about uh, spiritual practice or about anything that I talked about tonight. So we need a courageous person. Hi. Hello. Thank you for your talk. Thank you. I feel uncomfortable doing this. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> See, somebody's... Uh, <laughs> We've succeeded. I can. Uh, we can stop now. Uh, instead of having to go to a party, the party's coming to me. <coughs> Even worse. <laughs> me and my mom and my aunt are both coming to town for my birthday. Are you crazy? <laughs> Any words of advice? <laughs> just in what you were talking about, you know, a lot of that struck a chord. Just in you know, the pressures, the anxieties. Dealing with trying to show them around, having a good time, being fun, mm. entertaining. That reminds me. There was also uh, when the um, when the uh, the 
Uh, one of the things I wanted to know, and I forgot, uh, was there's also what we call bookending, which is really, really useful, which is announcing ahead of time that you have to be somewhere. Creating, you're allowed to create, you know, opportunities, things that you have to do, places you have to be. You're allowed to have natural demarcations that say, okay, you know, by the way, at 8 o'clock I have to go somewhere, at 9 o'clock I have to go somewhere, so that, you know, create outs. And, you know, if you have, like, a really great time and somebody says, hey, didn't you have to go to? And you're like, yeah, well, I'm having such a wonderful time, I decided to stay here with you. I don't encourage under any circumstance lying, so it's important to actually... Um, actually have an event or something that you can go to, but bookending is very, very skillful. The other thing is to, um, w along with the boundaries, just uh, naturally have a list of, if you want, plan ahead and have a list of topics that you're enthusiastic about and feel the permission anytime they start going to a place that's uncomfortable to drift or to literally shove, if necessary, the, co the topic of conversation to, to one of the topics that you feel safe with. It's, it's not unskillful. It's not self-centered. You know, a lot of times when we feel um, crowded, claustrophobic, emotionally shunted and trapped, it's because people are basically playing on our turf. They want to talk about our lives, what's going on with us. And that can lead to a feeling of being trapped. And so it's important to have either a list of topics about things in your life that you feel enthusiastic, or B, topics that you have a feeling they might be interested in talking about that is safely not about yourself. Well, so plan ahead and also announce that you have an engagement that you have to go to if you can find one. Hope that was helpful. Definitely. Thank you. Hi. A lot of the things that you were saying 